all these, there's all sorts of things in my world, for instance, that just all of a sudden are, are convergences. They just feel like a God thing. And uh, I keep talking to students that have come here, and we know what kind of a choice you're making in coming here. And, and yet, in the midst of it, there's something very special about this place without kind of sounding like the elevator speak from the president. I've only been here two years. Um, but there's something very unique about what God seems to want to do amongst us. And so it is, it's great to have you as first-year students. You've met the new dean of students, Joan. You want to stand up? So she doesn't have an elevator speech yet either, uh, you know, on, on what's great, but uh, it is good to have you here. Uh, this is a shorter chapel, right? You start class at 1030? I do. <laughs> yeah, so if you get up and leave. Um, I met with the first year uh, UC, the university students uh, up at their retreat. Up at, they were up at Fairhaven last week. And, and I, I looked at this passage, and as I was thinking about preaching today, I... I, I uh, I wanted to come, not just because I didn't want to prepare another sermon, uh, but because I wanted to, I, I, I think this is applicable to, to the journey that you're in. I love, I love the Gospels. And I love, I love the way the Gospel writers tell the story of Jesus in different ways. Uh, some of you may remember that there was a harmony of the Gospels decades ago, because everybody was a little nervous that the stories were slightly different. And yet I think the, the, the authenticity of Scripture is in the fact that those stories, the narratives, these gospel stories told by Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John are just slightly different. Because if I asked you, tell me about your story of Jesus, right? You'd all kind of your encounter with Jesus was very different, and you filter it uh, through a whole different kind of world. You know, I, I found Jesus in, in a university, at a party, not in the best of shape. <laughs> and yet, I encountered Jesus in a secular university. Some people are very nervous about universities, but I found Jesus. Uh, John even writes, and that's where I'd like, if you have a Bible, <laughs> this is a seminary, after all, and if you have your Greek Bible, I'll be even more impressed. Um, John chapter 5. John tells you, like all of the writers write, uh, write for different reasons, but John actually kind of tells you why he wrote. He said, there were all these stories that I could, have, I could have said, right? There are all these stories that we could have talked about. But I chose these stories. This is the, the paraphrase of Gary. But I chose these stories, why? So that you might believe. So whenever I read the Gospel of John, just a hint, I always ask, why did he choose this story? Like, why this particular story? Story. What is it that it helps me understand about what it means to believe? And this one in particular is, is striking because it's the story of this person who for 38 years sat and watched as other people 
got what he wanted. Like, it really doesn't matter what you believe about the pool of Bethesda, uh, we who are cynics in the 21st century. It really doesn't matter. What matters is he believed that if you got into the pool and the bubbles came up, he'd be healed. And for 38 years, he sat there. He must have seen it happen. Something happened in his own mind. And he sat there and he watched it. And, and for 38 years, he never got there. I've always been a downtown pastor. And it, you meet these people on a daily basis in a downtown church. People who've been beaten over and over and over again with expectations and hopes that no longer can be lived out because of some kind of cycle that they're captured in in the midst of that. For 38 years, he sits there, and then this guy, this guy, this, excuse me, idiot, comes up and says, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? Now, you get an insight into him because he kind of gives the answer he'd give his social worker. Sorry, Janet. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like there should be a number system like they have in the bakery. That's the kind of answer he gives. You know, it's life's not fair. Everybody gets in ahead of me. Everybody beats me there. Why isn't there a number system like they have in the bakery? You grab your number, wait your turn. Bubbles come up. They call number seven. And he gets to go in and the rest of them watch. For 38 years, he has been in absolute, especially probably in the last years, absolute despair and disillusionment. And so this guy says, do you want to get well? And he just says, I have no one to help me. And then in the midst of this guy's downward spiral comes this sharp, liberating command from Jesus. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now, you got to admit, he got up. So why did John choose this story is one of the questions I've always asked on this one. Well, let me just give you my take on this. I want you to notice what Jesus does here. Because it tells us a little bit, and I, I bet you if we had a, a kind of storytelling narrative going on here, uh, that some of these similar themes would come up. Because the first thing that you find out about this person is that Jesus finds him. Like, Jesus finds this guy in this particular place, at this particular time. He zeroes in on him. Isn't that one of the wonderful things of God? I don't care if you're Wesleyan Arminian, like me, or you prefer your God in a box like a reformer. That was a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Come on. <laughs> or if you're Pentecostal. Oh, someone's going to go after me on that after. I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> um, I don't care. Sorry, Joan. <laughs> yeah, she's going to get after me. Uh, I don't care where you are in, in a theological spectrum. The profound, profound story of God is a God 
who is always searching after you. My favorite story in one of the C.S. Lewis's books, The Horse and His Boy, is the story of Shasta and the horse. And Shasta's in the fog and on a mountain, and he's kind of wandering along this path, and he's worried because he's holding the, the rope of the horse, and he's worried that he might fall off and take the horse with him. But as he's kind of on this path, he feels this presence that somehow something is holding him in. And he, he looks out into the fog and he says, who are you? Who are you? And out of the fog comes Aslan, you know, the Christ figure, who is a lion, if you have never read the Chronicles. And he says, Shasta steps back and goes, who are you? And Aslan growls, one who has waited long for you to speak. Isn't that amazing? A God who is always seeking, a God who is always searching, a God who is always trying to find us. Second thing that I think is fascinating in this story is that Jesus breaks through the shell of this person and he deals with the real person. Like most of you know that Nike says that image is everything. You know, and it, most of you know that Nike's wrong, I hope. By this stage in your life, you've realized that if it's image, it's hiddenness. I think one of the greatest evils in the church today is hiddenness. My wife is, is an expert in narrative inquiry. She did her PhD in teacher formation. And uh, she studied teachers that were from Canada who went over with her to Kenya and, and, and interacted for a couple of weeks with public school teachers in Kenya. And she studied their stories before and their stories afterwards. And she wrote her thesis on that. And I loved reading her thesis because because uh, she also did a master's, an MDiv here, actually, in theology. And so she, uh, so there's, there's a wonderful thread of theology through her PhD thesis at the University of Alberta in the education department. Uh, and one of these threads is this idea of story. And, and in secular narrative inquiry literature, there's one part, where there's one kind of stream that talks about the fact that we all have, we all have story. We have what they, we call our cover story, this person says, that most of us live our lives around. And then we have behind that, and now listen to this, this is secular, uh, your sacred story. Isn't that fascinating? A God-breathed sacred story, this is how I spin it. A God-breathed sacred story behind the hidden story. Most of, us play, most of us live our lives in the hidden stories. Um, and if we mature, we learn to peel those back uh, carefully and safely. But we learn to do that. Uh, because it's the sacred story. It's the true story that God deals with first in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, the gospel's always bad news before it's good news. It's always salty before it's joyous. 
It, it always strips Zacchaeus. I see you in that tree. Crumb. I mean, it's, it's always that kind of thing. I've, I've had, in the last two days, met with two people, very, very mature, very effective people of faith who blew their lives up um, for all sorts of reasons. And it's, for one, it's been a number of years, and for another one, it's just been a year that they've been struggling uh, after they've blown their lives up. And both of them, as we were talking, said, you know, about the only good thing out of this is that I've been stripped bare before God and before others. I have nothing else. I just have me. What is left? Third thing that's interesting in this story is that Jesus uh, doesn't even deal with this guy spiritually. Did you notice that in John 5? Like he never, like, matter of fact, it's not till near the end of the story that he actually, the guy doesn't even know who Jesus is. You know, for, for North Americans who have this idea of the luxury of being able to, to kind of say that the primary mandate of the gospel is, is proclamation and spiritual, and then the other side of the church that says that the primary mandate of the gospel is social, uh, justice, I would really challenge them to read the Gospels. Because in some of Jesus' encounters, he deals with them spiritually. In other times, he deals with them physically or emotionally. I mean, it just depends who God is dealing with at that particular time and who Jesus is dealing with at that particular time. And this is one of these stories. This is pure grace, this story. Like, this is just Jesus being really graceful. Uh, I wish the church we could be more like this. You know, more graceful about the brokenness and the disillusionment and the despair in people's lives. Uh, one of the wonderful things about uh, being a downtown pastor was that in a downtown church, everybody bleeds openly. You know, like just, like, <laughs> it's all over you. I pastored for three years in a suburban church. It was the most dreadful experience of my life. Because I was used to people bleeding openly. And, and in suburban churches, they hemorrhage. You know, like, they, maybe a bruise appears finally, but they've been bleeding for a while. And, and all of a sudden, they'll go, I'm leaving my marriage. And I'm going, no, 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 just a second. We're having trouble with our marriage. <laughs> That's the first thing, you know. But they'd been hiding that for so many years, and, and that hiddenness. Jesus deals with this person in the fullness of who, he, of who he was. And the presenting need was his despair. The presenting need was his physical need at that particular time. Uh, it's a remarkable story. So Jesus finds him. He strips bare to the sacred story. And then lastly, he does this remarkable thing. He acts in grace. One last thing, because I got two minutes. By my watch. <laughs> um, I do this sometimes. I think, this would be good. What if? What if this guy fantasized for years about what it would be like to be healed? 
you know, thought about it, shaped his ideas around it. You know, he'd, his friends would arrive in time. They'd pick him up. They'd slide him in. He'd be in front of everybody. What if for years he'd thought about the bubbles? You know? He'd get out there in the middle of it, and the bubbles would come up around him. And all of a sudden, he'd, his legs would straighten out, his arms would straighten out. He'd stand up in the water. Everybody would be going. He'd walk out of the water with great pride. Like, what if for years he had, he had fantasized about what it would be like, what it would be like to have the bubbles? And then all of a sudden, in the midst of his fantasy, comes Jesus, who just says, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. But I wanted the bubbles. I wanted the bubbles. That's the other poignant thing in this story. Because when you go on in this story, the religious establishment attack him. God doesn't work on Sabbath. He doesn't get people to pick up their mats and walk. Why are, you, why are you carrying your mat? Isn't it fascinating that God will not be contained by your little world or your religious experience? One of the most profound privileges that I had when I studied at seminary and that I think you have in coming here, is you are amongst a menagerie of mongrels, of people who come from different faith traditions, and don't you dare judge them by your little world of your experience. One of the, the profound chances you have in this experience is will you allow God to surprise you? I had a student, or we, I had three students in my gospel church and culture class that were from the Coptic church. Uh, we've become a place where the Coptic priests study. And next to them was a Newfoundland Pentecostal, uh, a, a Christian missionary alliance. And... One day, I got them to write their statement, their denominational statement on the church. And I invited them, didn't tell anybody what, where they had come from. Put it, we put them all up on the wall. And then I said, which one do you like the most? And someone, they all pointed at this one. And, and one of the people said, uh, I said, where do you think that's from? And I said, well, they, one of them said, well, it couldn't be from the Coptic church. And it was. And if you talked to those three priests that were in that class, you'd know why. This is your chance for God to expand your horizons. You wanted bubbles. You may get way more. God be with you. And get to class quick. 